Welcome to No Ordinary Ordinary Women, Women. the podcast where two ordinary broads chat about extraordinary women, the good, the bad, and And the the batshit crazy. Hi, Rose. Hey, Lynn. How you doing? I'm good. Oh, it's been a week. It's such an ugly day outside. It's so It's rainy and cold. It's rainy and gross. I know, like everybody north of us is getting snow, and that is so unfair. I know, it's... Not even just north of us. Like, I was watching, I think somebody in Arkansas was getting snow. I'm oh, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw somebody, uh, a friend of mine lives in Kentucky, and they have like, snow. what the fuck? Yeah. It just goes right around us. It does. It's so irritating. I'm really getting mad that it hasn't snowed yet. Yeah. So our cocktail today is not as good as I hoped, but it's not bad. Can you chew your ice into the microphone? <laughs> <laughs> it's a bourbon smash. It's got blueberries and lemons. And topped with soda water. And then I added a teeny bit of stevia because it wasn't sweet enough because the blueberries were frozen. It's a long story. Anyway, but it's not bad. Yeah, it's not bad. The stevia helped. Yeah, it helped And the more you bit. drink it, the less you taste it. Yeah, the less I feel anything. Yeah, the less, like the less I feel. <laughs> I'll drink anything at this point. So we want to tell you guys. Um, so this episode kicks off um, Black History Month. And so Rose and I are going to do our stories on Black women for the entire month of, what month is this? February. February. (laughs) I almost said October. (laughs) I don't even know what month we're in. Yeah. Anyway, so, so yeah, we're going to be doing that to honor uh, Black History Month. Yeah. Make sure you guys like, rate, and share us on No Ordinary Men Pod on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. TikTok and then no ord ord women pod on Twitter. Make and make sure. sure you subscribe. Subscribe. Click the little plus listening. button. Plus plus button. And leave us a rating on Apple. Yes. Um, review and rate us. Give Please us do. Five stars. Please do. I showed my. Mom. I said I was going to do tutor- tutorial. 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 Last week, and I totally forgot. So it's been a crazy week. Are any of you shocked by that? Well, no. Rose. I started working I another job. I'm working two jobs <laughs> and doing this. I know. It's a lot. I'm going to fall out, you know. So anyway, but I will do that. I, I went over and helped my mom do it. I looked over her shoulder and made sure she gave us five stars. I was not having did anything else. Did she leave else. a review? She did. Okay. So, um, That's yeah. great. She did it on Spotify and on Apple. So. Oh, wow. Yeah, man. So, and then I, um, I've been at my second job, my part-time night job. I've been talking up a podcast. I got a new, got a new listener last night. So, oh, did you? Yeah, good job. So, Look at yeah. you. Look at me. You're really the promoting the podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, I did have someone slip into my DMs last Just week. Stop it. And I know Lynn's very jealous. No, I'll let you have one or two. It was actually the same person that slipped oh, into Lynn's yeah. DMs. <laughs> she felt bad for me, so she slipped into mine, but I still appreciate it. Christina, right? No, Katerina. No, Katerina, that's right. You know, Katarina. I remember that because. Um, Katarina Kitty Cat from Daniel Tiger. <laughs> we watch a lot of Daniel Tiger. Yeah. Don't even know who that is. Katarina Kitty Cat. <laughs> oh, thanks, Katarina. Thanks, Katarina Kitty Cat. You're the best fan ever. <clears throat> She's number one fan. Number one fan. We're going to make a medal of her and wear it. <laughs> I'm going to get like a, I'm going to get one of those big like gold chains and like put her picture <laughs> in it. Picture. Yeah. <laughs> Her Instagram picture. Or just, or just, it'll say number one, bang. <laughs> oh, my God. 
That'd be so creepy. All right, you ready to hear my story, Rosie Posey? No, I don't want to hear it. I okay. just want to get drunk and hang All out right. for a little while. Cheers. I'll have another sip of my drink there. <laughs> I left my water in the car, so I'm going to drink my drink much faster today. Oh, boy. It's going to get ugly. Yeah. Because okay. I haven't really eaten much today either, so. Mm, oh, we'll wow. <laughs> we'll see what happens. <laughs> you need a little sloppy. So. Okay, go ahead. Marguerite Johnson was born in St. Louis, Missouri on April 4th, 1928. She spoke seven languages, was an author, a poet, a historian, a songwriter, playwright, dancer, stage and screen producer, director, performer, singer, educator, and civil rights activist. That's it? That's it. (laughs) (laughs) That's all I have. (laughs) Otherwise known as... You think Ma- you're busy. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I feel like I can't do anything. Otherwise known as Maya Angelou. Oh. Maya Angelou had a difficult childhood. Her parents split up when she was very young, and she and her older brother, Bailey, were sent to live with their father's mother. Her name was Anne Henderson in Stamps, Arkansas. I can't even imagine living in Arkansas at that time and being black. Being black it had to be really yeah. tough. Black and a girl. Yeah. Her grandmother is one of the most important people in Maya's life. She was an honorable woman who ran a general store in Stamps, Arkansas. Maya lived most of her childhood with her grandmother, whom she called Mama. As an African-American, Maya experienced firsthand racial prejudices and discrimination in Arkansas. At the age of seven, during during a visit with her mother, Maya was raped by her mother's boyfriend. She told her mother about the rape and her boyfriend was arrested. Somehow, he was released the very next day. I just, I, they didn't really get into why. I assume it was like bail or something. Um, so in retaliation for the sexual assault, Maya's uncles beat him to death. Oh, good. So he was found dead the next day after he was let out of jail. She was convinced that her words were the power that killed this man. Yeah, that's always really traumatic to a kid. I can't even imagine. Even though I'm glad they did. He deserves it. But. Uh, absolutely. I think so, too. So she stopped talking. When she realized this man died. How old she, was she? She was seven. Oh, God. So it's kind of weird. A couple places said she was six. Other places said she was seven. But I went with seven. Oh, um, that makes me sick. So she was convinced. I told you that the, her power, the, her words were that powerful. So she right. was like terrified to speak. So she didn't talk again until she was 13 years old. Holy shit. She said nothing. That's crazy. She carried around a little notepad tucked into her belt so she could communicate through writing notes to people. At a fairly young age, she started reading and writing poetry. Uh, there was a woman who was helping her. It was a local teacher. Teacher. <laughs> a local teacher. <laughs> a teacher. Teacher. <laughs> a local teacher named Bertha Flowers, who ultimately helped Maya regain her voice. Flowers was a mentor for Maya. M- mentor for Maya, and she was awed by the teacher's style and unusual, refined grace. So when Flowers spoke, Maya listened. In her autobiography, Maya vividly recalls what Flowers said to her. She said, your grandmother says you read a lot every chance you get, she told Maya. That's good, but not good enough. Words mean more than what is set down on paper. It takes the human voice to infuse them with the shades of deeper meaning. Her words stuck with Maya as poetic, and their relationship developed as Flowers provided Maya with new books and great motivation to read. Eventually, 
Flowers was able to break Maya's long silence by challenging her to read poetry aloud. As Maya recalled in 1986, in a 1986 interview with NPR, Flowers charged, challenged Maya's appreciation for poetry, saying, You do not love poetry until you speak it. For a time, young Maya rejected the teacher's assertion, but ultimately she uttered the words from a book of poetry and heard the poems come alive from her own lips. So at age 13, she gradually began speaking again. And in her own words, during her interview with Oprah, she said, I started speaking and I never stopped. (laughs) (laughs) That's so interesting because, like, she didn't speak at all. Like, wouldn't your voice like? Wouldn't that do something to your voice box? No, it it was it's your called um. She said the name. For it. I don't know if it's called voluntary mute. It's called um. Selective mute. selective mutism. Yes. So she was. Yeah. So she was. But I always wonder, like, that doesn't. Would do you something lose to your like voice? Your vocal cords, right? Because if they're not being used, like did they, she? Maybe she talked to herself. Like I, I, I mean. So when she first was challenged to start reading this poetry because the teacher was really um, saying that poetry is, is is written, it's pretty, but it's not until it comes, the way she said it, the, the way that Maya Angelou says it, is that it, it comes across your lips and it becomes word and it becomes like live and beautiful. Yeah. And so she told her, she said, you can't keep doing this unless you're going to speak it. So she, Maya went under the house. I guess they probably had like a crawl space or maybe like a dirt basement right, or something. Yeah. I don't know. But she said, I went under the house and started finding my words or my voice. And she started talking out loud before she talked in front of anybody else. Right. So there's another um, article I read that she said that her brother would get her to talk once in a while. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Um but she didn't talk about that much. That was in an article I read. And I was like, mm, it wasn't quoted by her. So I was kind of a little hesitant to bring it up. But yeah, right. I don't know. He was the only person that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, there you go. So I was thinking, you know, what a great example of an impact a teacher can make on a student. You know, this right. her, her wisdom, especially the attention she gave, the special attention she gave Maya. Right. Um, it influenced her for so many years. Did you have like. Growing up, did you have that one teacher who was, like, amazing um, that you always remember? It's funny because my second grade teacher was so awesome. And then my third grade teacher was absolutely horrendous. She was physically one? abusive yeah. to me. And then my fourth grade teacher was super kind and loving. So I had – it was, like, sandwiched between two great teachers. Yeah, right. But they were kind of, like, my favorites. I yeah. remember my third grade teacher, Mrs. Nakamura. She was very um, – I just loved her. Like, she was really kind. And she would read us. It's like a series of books, like, about, like, the Titanic and the Civil War, just different kind of books. Mm-hmm. That, and they were so interesting. And she would read them to us. And it made me love, like, history. Oh, cool. Because she was, I don't know, just the way she read. And well, she's probably a little more animated. How much she cared yeah. about, like, her students and stuff. She was definitely the best teacher I've ever had. It's so cool when you hear about teachers like that. Because teachers, so many teachers are not like that. And... I'm not saying all teachers by any means, but I'm just saying that, you know, you hear bad stories about teachers sometimes. Yeah, right. And there are there are so many good teachers um, that deserve, you know, kudos and right. I mean, more money and oh, you know yeah. stuff like that. Yeah. Then there's teachers who it's like they're calling need to, to retire. Be teachers. Yeah. yeah. And then yeah. there's yeah the teachers who yeah need to retire or whatever. Charlotte has an amazing teacher this year, too. Yeah. Uh, Julia's teacher is really good. She has actually, ironically, small town Charlottesville. Um, Julia's teach. Julia has two teachers. One of her teachers is the wife 
of one of Caitlin and Abby's teachers from Albemarle High School. Oh, that's really cool. Isn't that cool? Yeah. And sadly, he's very sick. And I'm still going to bring this so up funny. right now. Oh, that's so funny. I just got an email about that. Did you? Yeah. To, for the GoFundMe? Yeah. Yeah. So he's very sick. He's been diagnosed with um, brain cancer. And Caitlin hated high school. She absolutely hated it. And she was like, she wrote, she made a donation, first of all, on her own. And she wrote a little a little thing in the donation on the GoFundMe that said how incredible of a teacher he was and how he inspired her to seek out things and, oh, and really you true. know, investigate things on her own and, you know, not, you know, don't take bullshit answers. Kind yeah, of. Right. I forget exactly what she said, but it was it was like. And she said he was the teacher that gave a shit. Right. Yeah. And I was just it really makes such a big difference in your life. It really does. all of my kids went to that school and hated it. And then. All five of them. And then Caitlin, you know, they each had like one teacher that really yeah, like right. stuck with them, kind of. But this one was, um, Chris's was his creative writing teacher. Oh, my God. He loved her so much. And then Caitlin with this teacher. And so it's it's just like, it's so sad because, you know, now they're facing this. They have kids and stuff. So right, yeah. I may, I'm going to go ahead and post on our social media about the, the GoFundMe. So if anybody wants to donate. Any any amount of money you donate helps in the long run. Yeah, so. right. But yeah, just a little about when, since we're talking about good teachers and, you know, what a difference they make. Yeah. He made a difference in my daughter's life for sure. And actually, Caitlin was saying she thinks he went to Albemarle High School. I mean, um, oh, my gosh, Lynn. She thinks he went to Ohio University. And um, she was like, I vaguely remember him talking to me, talking to me about Ohio, but I, I can't remember if he went there because I think one of his kids is going there or something. So I don't know. That was kind of cool. But, yeah, that's amazing. Charlotte's yeah. teacher has like really brought her out of her shell, and she loves going to school. And she mm-hmm. just she she lives in our neighborhood, and Charlotte just wants to stop by her house like every day. She asked if she could go live with her. <laughs> like, okay, <laughs> pack your bag. <laughs> yeah. I'll drop you off in a few minutes. <laughs> and she she said, "I wish she could be my mom." I was like, "Okay, that's oh great. my gosh, that's so that's funny. Oh, <laughs> that's so sweet. No, but she just loves her that much, and it makes me feel good. You know yeah. what I mean? That she loves her that much. Oh, absolutely. That's her teacher, her kindergarten teacher wasn't she wasn't bad but she wasn't like maybe she should have been teaching older kids you yeah. know she was a little strict and a little much for a kindergarten and she didn't like join any of the um activities like the other classes would do activities and she wouldn't join and they would have like silly hat day and she wouldn't she wouldn't participate in it like the kids could but she wouldn't oh. and this teacher she always does like yeah see, you know and it's need that like, stuff if you're teaching young kids like that you really should be yeah doing something you have to you know, be their leader, right? Yet stoop to their level. Yeah, exactly. You know what I mean? Yeah, a- appropriately. And you the know, other one was not. She was young. She was younger than this one, so it wasn't like she was burnt out. I mean, maybe she was burnt out. I don't know, but yeah, maybe. Yeah, yeah who knows? She, and she wasn't bad. She just wasn't yeah. Bad. I mean, good teachers are so. Um, so Maya wrote in one of her uh, in one of her books. I'm not sure which one. It says, "I was liked, and what a difference it made." I was respected not as Miss Henderson's grandchild or Bailey's sister, but for just being Marguerite Johnson. Oh, that's really sweet. Yeah. So Maya attended Mission High School and won a scholarship to study dance and drama at San Francisco's Labor School, where she was exposed to the progressive ideals that animated her into la- later political activism. At age 13, she and her brother moved back with Vivian in San Francisco. 
Vivian was um, her mother. I don't I, I did I totally leave that out. Anyway, she moved back to live with her mother, <laughs> Vivian. <laughs> so was Maya like her nickname? Yeah, well, yeah, well, I'll, I'll get into okay, that a little bit. Right, her brother right. called her Maya okay. when she was little. Um, Maya, so then, <laughs> so I'm going to tell you a little bit about her life and like little spurts here. So Maya was the first black streetcar driver in San Francisco. So back, this is during the war, all the men, you know, women didn't work really that much. Yeah. But all the men were gone at war. So women started having to work. And so women started driving the streetcars. But there was no black people, white or, I mean, no black people, male or female, driving streetcars. Okay. So Maya saw the women conductor. I, I don't know if they're called conductors. That's what I'm calling them. Driving the streetcars, and she loved their uniform. She was 16. She was. She decided that's that was the uniform she was going to wear. So she went home and told her mother she wanted that job. And Vivian said, "Well, go get it, girl, and don't take no for an answer." <laughs> I wonder what they look like. Um, I don't know. I should have. I should have googled it. So Maya applied and was denied. She sat. So she went home. She told her mother. Her mother's like, "You're not going to let them beat you. You get your biggest book." that you can read and you go sit there until they hire you. So Maya sat in their office lobby every day for two weeks. She sat there just reading and she left after the secretaries left to go to lunch. She'd run and get a bite to eat and then she'd be back before they got back. And then she sat in there and finally, like one of the managers called her in and was like, what are, what are you doing? And she's like, I want, I want, <laughs> he That's said, so um, she, she said, um, they finally gave her an application, and she realized in the application she had to be 19 to get the job, So, she, and she was only 16. Yeah. So she lied about it, and girl, she got that job. <laughs> That's like some persistence at 16, yeah, you know? Yeah, sitting there and just reading, waiting. So Maya told – so I did – I listened to two episodes of Oprah's um, podcast of her interviewing Maya, and I listened to it several times, and I, like I was brought to tears several really? times listening Aww. to them talk and it was just so moving it was really cool so M- maya told oprah in um her interview with her that her mother she had to be at work like before da- before dawn mm-hmm. and her mother would drive her to work and then her mother would follow the streetcar with her pistol in the front seat oh, just laying God. in the front seat and follow it so she could see everybody getting on and off of the the streetcar before dawn in the dark and she, and then once it like it became light out, her mother would just go home, and then she, oh my god, that's so funny! I would she was like super protective of her. She watched well, her. Could like, you a imagine? Because she's black. She's black, and, and she's, she's a, a woman, woman, and she's like yeah. going through all the streets of San Francisco. I mean, it I'm has sh- to be a little dangerous, right. right? I'm sure she was harassed a lot. Oh yeah, I'm sure. So Vivian was a former nurse who ran a pool hall, gambling club, and boarding house. She was a very powerful woman. Uh, Maya talks very fondly about her mother and how strong she was. Her mother didn't take crap from anyone. She had plenty of money and ran a lucrative business. She was not afraid to put anyone in their place, including the police. (laughs) On the other hand, she would help anyone in need. Her family would, her whole family would like stand up to the police and stuff like that. But they all said she would bring trouble on. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Maya would? No, her mother. Oh, her mother. Her mother. Oh. Maya said that she was the best mother a teen and adult to an a teen a teen or adult child. She just didn't have the capacity to raise young children. Oh. I mean, she was basically abandoned. She and her brother were basically abandoned by their mothers. So oh, they went really? to live with their grandmother and they didn't um 
hear from a mother, but like twice. Oh, wow. In the, the years that they lived with her. And then they went back, back to live with her. Yeah. How old is her brother? Is he younger or older than he her? Was older than her. He was older than her. In an interview with Smithsonian Magazine, Maya says, my mom, you know, was a seaman at one point in Los Angeles. I was in Los Angeles and I called her in San Francisco and said, I want to come see you. I'm going to New York and I don't know when I'll be back. So let's meet mid-state, she said. And her mom said, oh, baby, I want to see you, too, because I'm going to because I'm going to see. And I said, going to see what? And she said, I'm going to become a seaman, a seaman. And I said, mother, really, come on. She said, no, they told me they wouldn't allow women in their union. And I told them, you want to bet? I put my foot in that door all the way up to my hip so women of every color could get in that union, get aboard a ship and go to sea. She retired in 1980. Asian, white, and black women gave a party for her when she retired. Oh, wow. They called her the mother of the sea. That's so awesome. <laughs> They're like, they told her you couldn't do it. She's like, you want to bet? I think <laughs> she so didn't funny. even want to do it. But no. she was just like, oh, I'm going to do it now. So later in her life, um, Maya wrote a very personal memoir about her relationship with her mother, Vivian Baxter. Another one of her fondest, well, one the one of, she said one of the fondest memories of her was her mother was one day they were walking down the street and they were like arm in arm and her mother was five foot four and a half and Maya was six feet tall. Holy shit, so she was really? like, yeah, they were like linked arms and they were walking down the street and her mom said, baby. And then the two stopped walking and Maya looked down at her mother and she said, you know something? I think you're the greatest woman I've ever met. Um, in every story that like I listened to, I, I listened to the podcast. It was two episodes that I read several stories and in in the s- stories i read and in the podcast when they talked about this yeah they talk about it bringing her to tears when she says this this oh, is really? like such a oh. moving memory yeah. for her so in 1944 at age 16 maya told her mother she was pregnant her mother asked do you know who the father is maya said yes she said does he love you and maya said no and he said do you love him and her mother said and, and she, her mother said do you love him and maya said no and her mother said, well, there's no need in ruining three lives. We're going to have us a baby. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> so when it was time to have the baby, they went to the hospital. The doctor hadn't arrived at the hospital yet. And Vivian told the nurse who she was. She washed up and delivered the baby. Wow. I mean, this woman was freaking amazing. Maya gave birth to a son and she named him Guy. After giving birth, she worked a number of jobs to support herself and her son. She never asked her mother for help financially. A poet himself, Maya's son, now goes by the name Guy Johnson. So I read this talks about how she got her name, her last name. Um, So I read two different things and I'm not sure which one's right. So I'm going to tell you both and then anybody could just make up your mind. So after graduation, Maya undertook a series of odd jobs to support herself and her son. In 1949, she married Tosh Angelos. An electrician in the U.S. Navy, she adopted a form, of, a form of his surname and kept it throughout her life, even though her marriage ended in divorce in 1952. So that's how she okay. got Angelo. Angelo. Okay. So then I read another article that said in 1952, this would be the year she got divorced, Maya wed Anastasio Angelopoulos, Angelopoulos, a Greek sailor. And this is when she changed her name and took took it as her professional name, a blend of her childhood nickname, Maya, and her shortened version of the surname, the couple later divorced. So, I mean, it could be both are true, and she just decided to shorten it 
Like, I mean, that would be very coincidental that she would. I know, but like these are two different. It's not like the names seem similar. It's not like like she. They said she married somebody named oh, Tosh Angelos. I'm sure, I understand. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, my watch just decided to. Lately, it's been doing that. My sir, my Surrey on my watch is like it just randomly talks. Yeah, yeah. it's like sh- did I say your name? I, I don't think so. Um, so anyway. Yeah, so Tosh, and, and it's like in 1949, she married Tosh Angelos. And then in 1952, she married Anastasio Angelopoulos. Well, how many marriages did she have? Well, it's so <laughs> the next paragraph. Notoriously secretive about her marriages, it was rumored that she married at least three times, including 1973 to a carpenter named Paul DeFue. So, so maybe that was the maybe truth. She, maybe she, she did, did have marry two, both of them and then and the, she took the name. Like she made it her professional right, name, yeah. like as because, yeah. you know, she's like, well, it's they're similar. So, yeah, because I got those two paragraphs about the two first husbands or the first and the second or however, you, uh-huh. however you may want to take it um, from two different articles. So I was really confused. Um, in the mid 50s, Maya's career as a performer began to take off. She landed a role in a touring production of Porgy and Bess, later appearing in the off-Broadway production of Calypso Heatwave and releasing her first album, Miss Calypso. Um, so I want to back up for a second and tell you a little story. I didn't put this in my, but it's. I just thought it was kind of cool. This kind of talks about how badass her mother is. I meant to add it, and I forgot to. It's kind of a little bit long. But her mother, um, so she was dating this guy when she was, um, I, I assume it was before she had her son. She was dating a guy, and um, they had gone up to... Um, Oh, my God, it's so weird because I thought about it the other day when I heard about that shooting in California because it was in the same area, some overlook, um, Half Moon Cove or something like that. Anyway, they went up there and she's like thought they were just going to go like have a romantic evening or something. And they go up there and he gets out of the car and he opens the door for her and she gets out. And she was like, what are we doing? You know, and they'd yeah. been dating. And she said he was a very nice guy. And he punched her in oh. the face. He was a boxer. He was like a prize fighter. And he punched her and knocked her out cold. What the fuck? And he threw her in the back seat. And then he went to this uh, this restless little uh, food stand. Like, a, I think he said she said it was a little chicken stand. And he she was in the back seat unconscious. And he showed some of his friends. He's like, come look. This is what, this is what happens when you when you cheat on me. And he was showing his friends and laughing about it. Oh, my God. Well, somebody that saw it went in and told the little old lady that owned the chicken stand about it and said, your friend Vivian's daughter's in the back of his car. Oh, God. So like three days later, Vivian wasn't, I mean, uh, Maya wasn't home yet. And so Vivian went to this man's house with two of the biggest guys she could find. And she told him she was beating on the door and he didn't answer. And she told the guys, take this door down. And they knocked the door down. Her mother went and rescued her and took her away. Did they kill the guy or beat him up? They didn't say. They didn't say. But that's yeah. crazy. Isn't that nuts? Was so, she actually cheating on him? She didn't say. Oh. So I don't. I don't know. I mean, she didn't say she did. She didn't say she didn't. No, so. I mean, it, I mean, it doesn't does matter. Not matter. You know? <laughs> <laughs> it still doesn't it give does, him a right. No. And I'm sure someone like that probably made that up in his head because he was probably. Oh cheating, yeah. You know? yeah. He's definitely insecure. Yeah. Right. So she was a member of the Harlem Writers Guild and a civil rights activist. Maya organized and starred in the musical revenue. I'm sorry, the musical review. (laughs) 
My contacts are getting all blurry again. <clears throat> um, I'm going to start that paragraph over. A member of the Har- Harlem Writers Guild and a civil rights activist, Maya organized and starred in the musical review Cabaret for Freedom as a benefit for the Southern Christian Leadership Conference, also serving as the conference's northern coordinator. In 1961, Maya appeared in an off-Broadway production of Jean Gannett's The Blacks with James Earl Jones, Lou Gossett Jr., and Cicely Tyson. Oh, wow. What kind of crew is that, right? (laughs) She went on to earn a Tony Tony Ward nomination, among many other honors. Maya spent much of the 1960s abroad, living first in Egypt and then in Ghana, working as an editor and a freelance writer. Maya also held a position at the University of Ghana for a short time. While in Ghana, she joined a community of revolutionists, returnees, exploring pan-Africanism and became close to close with human rights activist and black nationalist leader Malcolm X. Oh, wow. Awesome. I mean, it just gives me chills to talk about her. It really does. In 1964, when she returned to the United States, Maya helped Malcolm X set up an organization of Afro-American unity, which disbanded after his assassination the following year. In 1969, Maya published I Know Why the Cage Bird Sings, an autobiography of her early life. Her tale of personal strength amid childhood trauma and racism resonated with readers and was nominated for the National Book Award. So People Magazine has coined this book the one of the best books ever, written ever. Really? Like, it's wow. like apparently like. I need to listen. Really to that. good. I know. I need to. I need to get that. I think I actually ha- might even have it on my Kindle. Actually, so Maya, 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 Maya published several, several. <laughs> <laughs> Maya published several collections of poetry, but her most famous was 1971's collection "Just Give Me a Cool Drink of Water Before I Die," which was nominated for the Pulitzer Pulitzer Prize. Oh, wow, good for her. <laughs> After publishing Cage Bird, Maya broke. New ground artistically, educationally, and socially with her drama, Georgia, Georgia, in 1972, which made her the first African-American woman to have her screenplay produced. That's awesome. In an interview with Oprah, in the interview with Oprah, Oprah brought up an incident. This made me crack up. At a party, Maya was hosting at her home. So she lived in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. Oh, okay, she, yeah. she taught at um, Wake Forest University. Oh, and I remember we I lived in Winston Salem for a short period of time. Did you? Yeah. And I remember I think, I'm gonna bump into Oprah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Never did. I'm sure you ran in the same circles. Because I think she had a place there, if I'm not mistaken. But anyway, so in an interview with Oprah, in her interview with Oprah, Oprah brought up an incident at a party Maya was hosting at her home in Winston Salem. Oprah said the room was filled with people, everyone was talking, and someone clear across the room from where Maya was standing started telling a joke that was racist, ho- a racist homophobic joke. This um, was at Maya's house? At Maya's house. Oh my God. Maya stopped the party, walked across the room and said, I think this is your coat. Did you come with anyone? <gasps> Good for her. <laughs> and so they, I don't know if somebody else brought them or they brought somebody, but she, has, she showed them out of the house. Oprah said, I, everybody was like stunned. Like, what happened? I what bet. happened? What happened? And after the people were escorted out, Maya told everyone at the party, not at my house, not ever. Oh, good for Those her. Those words are poison. Good for her. And Oprah said, I mean, you know, I can see Oprah totally doing something like that, right? Like, yeah, right. In my mind. Yeah. But Oprah said, I just, I just wondered, like, I, I still 
don't know that I'd ever have that courage. Right, yeah. And Maya said, I have fought too hard in my life to have anybody bring poison into my home. Right, under her roof. And she just like, she's so, she was so awesome. Um, So she later talked about homophobia, racism, and the N-word, and generally unkind people. She again said, all of this is poison. You can put poison in the finest crystal and it's still going to kill you if you drink it. She felt very strongly that she would not have this poison in her life. She said, it's just not nice. Yeah. And she didn't want to be around people that weren't nice. That's what Lily says. Not nice. not nice. (laughs) (laughs) She discusses in many interviews things that were important to her and lessons that she's learned. Her favorite word is love. She says it makes her feel love in her heart. When she says the word love, she just her heart feels full. Oh, that's really. And um, this was kind of funny. I didn't put this in here, but she her favorite word is murmur. She's like, I just love the way it comes off your tongue, murmur. And she said, (laughs) you can't yell murmur. So I'm like, I was like, when I trying to yell in your house, I was like, murmur. I was like, murmur, (laughs) murmur. (laughs) But sounds really weird. Yeah. I was like, murmur, 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 murmur. <laughs> yeah. So I just like, she's like, I just love the way that roll that rolls off yeah. your tongue. And it was just so cool. She said, courage is the most important of all the virtues. When asked, are you, what are, what are you the happiest about in your life? And she said, this, this actually made me tear up. And I'm, you know, I'm not a very spiritual person right. at all. Yeah. Um, or religious person, per- person. I'm, I can be spiritual, but I'm not religious. But she said, the happiest thing about her life is that God loves me. And then this is this is quoting her. She said, God loves me. God loves me. And she was, it was, I was listening to this interview, but I could hear her patting her right, chest. Yeah. And she said, God loves me. And she got all teary and started crying. And she said, I'm not perfect. All the things I've done that are bad in my life or that, you know, I could have done better in my life. And he loves me. And she just was like, it really made yeah. me have the chills. Aww, that's really sweet. So um, her greatest advice she ever received was for, to forgive. She said, now she says, don't be crazy and let people walk all over you. Yeah, right. um, But she said, forgiveness means I'm done with you. So when somebody hurts you and you forgive them, that doesn't mean you have to open your heart to them and your doors to them and your right. life to them. It means you've forgiven them. You're move freeing on. yourself. Um, yeah, you're yeah. freeing yourself of them. Now get out of my mind and you will not occupy my thoughts anymore. Right, yeah. And I never thought about it that way. Because you can forgive, but you can't forget, right? Yeah. So um, I think it's a really good way to look at it. Like I've forgiven you from being in my mind. And, and it so is now it's really can, like, hard. But when oh, you yeah. can do it, it's, it is freeing. It, I just I thought it was a really because you cool do way to forget. Look at it. I think I was like that with my dad, mm-hmm. and it was just like one day I was just like I don't I don't want to live with this anymore. You know what I mean? This like burden of like being sad or whatever that I don't have a dad. Right, the and occupying of your mind that you like abandoned me. Mm-hmm. And yeah, once I did that, it's like it's lifted the weight off. You know what I mean? And yeah. I can just like talk about it i don't have a problem talking about it anymore because it's like i don't care anymore yeah because you you yeah i've forgiven him it's yeah. like okay you did what you did well for whatever reason you had but yeah but you're not going to let him walk in your right. door and be your bestie yeah exactly right. yeah right. and i don't yeah i don't want a relationship yeah. with him but absolutely he is who he is and he can go on with his life and i'll go on with mine right exactly um, another life lesson she said she first heard I love this one too she first heard from James Baldwin and has used over and over again 
she says, your crown has been bought and paid for. Now it's your time to wear it. And I was like, what? And so she said, she talks about our her ancestors or our ancestors who have fought for us for everything we have, right? So we have to carry ourselves with pride and do the same thing for our next generation. So right. we're purchasing the crown and paying for the crown for our kids yeah. and their kids and their kids right. and people in our community that are part of the next generation. Yeah. So wear it with pride. Don't just be like everything like, you know, my my grandparents came over here, you know, from, well, my dad's mother came over from Italy, like on a boat. But that, I mean, but the thing is, is that like the things that they went through to get where they are. Right. Is, something you know, we couldn't even imagine. Shouldn't take, we shouldn't take advantage of. Yeah, right. So I thought that was a really cool, really cool well. life lesson. In 2011, President Barack Obama awarded Maya the Presidential Medal of Freedom. It's the country's highest civilian honor. It was a fitting recognition for Maya's remarkable and inspiring career in the arts. Maya said um, in her interview, she said when she received this medal, she was so thankful she didn't have to speak because she was holding back tears. She said she felt her grandmother, her mother, and her great-grandmother all with her. She said their presence was, they were there with me on that stage. And she left the stage and she went into another room and sobbed. And she said, I sobbed out loud, sobbed. She said, I couldn't get myself together. I couldn't hold myself together. She, it was like all the emotions of getting this medal, which I can't even like, I have goosebumps. I can't even imagine. And then to feel the presence and the pride, like, oh, my God, I'm going to cry. But the pride, like, yeah, she had right. to have felt, like. And not only that, but, the, like, being um, given this this award from a black president. Must oh, my God. so amazing Absolutely. to her. You know what I mean? Oh, my gosh. Like, a place she never thought. Right. I mean, she couldn't even imagine her life being, yeah. right? It just was so flipping cool. And sorry to interrupt you again, but last week I had a dream that I was dating Barack Obama. (laughs) Did I tell you about that? You did. Oh, my God. And I was so into him. I mean, I love Barack. Don't get me wrong. But, oh, my God, I was super into him. That is so funny. I had a dream that I was dating Bill Clinton. Oh, that was real. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) I'm totally kidding. I'll take Barack any day. Yeah. Um, I mean, he's, he's a handsome man. He is a handsome man. He definitely is a handsome man. Yes. And, and I he's just, so nice. I love the way he looks at his wife. And he's, he's just such a kind, like he's, like in his whole, the t- entire time he was president, he never said an unkind word. Right. Well, that, and then you know? when you, when he looks at his wife, it makes me melt. I mean, he just, just you see the love her. in his eyes. And in yeah. the way she looks at him too. Yeah. It's like. It is sweet. I want someone to look at I me like that. Them. They are. They I look are very at you like that people. all the time. Yeah. Oh, do you? You do yeah. look at me like that. You missed my box, but you look at me like that. <laughs> so dirty. I know. Um, so in May of 2021, it was announced that Maya would be one of the first women to be commemorated. <laughs> in May of 2021, it was announced that Maya would be one of the first women to be commemorated. I, I don't know. That's why I'm right. Of, yeah, I don't know why I was having a hard time saying it. It was like not wanting to come out of my mouth. I really did. With a new series of quarters from the U.S. Mint. After and she was also. Oh, um, I remember that they made a stamp, uh, a postal stamp. Yeah, I with remember the, that too. too. After experiencing 
many health issues for a number of years. Maya died on May 28, 2014. It doesn't feel like it was that long ago. Yeah, 2014? Crazy. That's like nine years I know, ago. That is. At her home in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, the news of her passing spread quickly with many people taking to social media to mourn and remember Maya. Singer Mary, Bl- Mary J. Blige, p- politician Cory Booker were among those who tweeted their favorite quotes by her in tribute. President Barack Obama also issued a statement about Maya, calling her a brilliant writer, a fierce friend, and a truly phenomenal woman. Maya had the ability to remind us that we are all God's children, that we all have something to offer here. Aww. Isn't that sweet? That is sweet. (laughs) My boyfriend. He's so sweet. Your boyfriend. (laughs) He's my boyfriend. If we we did a men's podcast, I would do him. Oh. For sure. Well. Gross. (laughs) Jesus. He was the president. You can't talk about having sex with him. Nasty bitch. I wouldn't do him like somebody else. Well, that was great, Len. You did a great job. I really... that's, I love I her. Took, that's why I didn't get anything else done because I worked on this so much. Did you? And I just every like I kept getting more information. I was like, how do I put this together? <laughs> and this is probably like nine, like just me pounding on the typewriter, like boom, 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 yeah, boom, right. like just me yeah. just putting everything down. And like I was walking and um. I was listening to the podcast, and I would send myself voice memos about things I oh, wanted really? to add. Yeah. yeah, I just was totally, Those totally are the into best this. Stories though, where you like really get into them. It yeah, is, this... it is hard to write though. I do, and it does take a lot. Yes, it's a lot of work. Yeah. And this one, I spent many hours and on. Not only that, but you also want to do them justice. You know what I mean? You oh want to do a good job yeah. because you kind of fall in love with them, and then you're like, "That's how I felt about Tova." I was like, "I want to make sure I do a good job because, right? You know." I don't know. You just kind of, I don't know, you kind well, of bond wanna, with them in a way. Well, that's yeah. I didn't want to get anything wrong. That's why I was so torn about the whole thing of um, her, her being name. married yeah. and this name. And so I, you know, I, I can't. I can only go down so many rabbit holes. I don't have time to go down more. Right. Which yeah. I may later, but I just like. I don't know. She, I've been wanting to do her for a while, and I was like, I read some stuff, and I'm like, oh my gosh, there's so much information, and I, I was like right, overwhelmed yeah, it's by too it. Too hard, yeah. So I just am so happy I I'm did glad it. You and did it. it was really when you good. suggested we do Black History Month, I was like, I'm gonna do her. I'm just gonna bite the bullet and do it. Good job. And so thanks. So speaking of um, deep diving into people, I read Prince Harry's book. Did you finish it? I well, I didn't read it. I listened to it. Yeah, it was oh. like 16 hours long. Oh my god. <laughs> um. I don't know. I have mixed feelings. He, I feel bad for him. Mm-hmm. I feel bad for the whole family. Oh like, my god, that's such. I feel it's like such it, a hard life, oh. you know. But at the same time, I kind of felt like, woe is me, kind of during some. Like he's there's a part in the book where he's like, oh, I had to shop at TJ Maxx and stuff when he was, um, like out on his own, like not on his own, but like. When he wasn't living under his dad's roof, and he's like, "Girl, try and shop at the Goodwill." Yeah, That's he where I gotta he's go. like, "I wasn't giving, you know, given enough money. I had to find the um, sell. I knew when the sell days were and the clearance days, and I'd go then. And it, it was just a little dramatic, you know. And then when he was talking about him and Megan, like we didn't know how we were gonna rent a house, we didn't or buy a house, we didn't have enough money. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> like, come on, you know well, what I she mean? She was a she was an actress. Right. She had I mean, to have she money. She had money. He had money from his mom, like yeah. millions, maybe billions of dollars. I don't. It doesn't. He didn't say how many, how much it was. But well, how much of it was like trust? Like tr- well, it was in his trust, trust until he was thirty. So he got it oh, all okay. when he was thirty. But he, he's like, no, we wanted to save. We want to save that for our kids, so we don't want to touch it. Okay, that's 
that is called privilege. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? No. I, and I'm not saying that he, like, I don't, I don't know. I feel like he should have left where he's trying to, like, be relatable out because it mm-hmm. just came off as kind of, like, privileged and you don't. So he, he I feel like, I, you know what I feel like? It sounds like he's feeling like the way I felt when I wasn't getting child support and I couldn't make ends meet and I had to go to the food bank to get food right. for my kids. Yeah, and I guess for and him I it was, is that and way. I was literally standing in there sobbing. Like, just, I cried all the way there. I cried the whole time I was in there. I, yeah. I was like, what is my life turned into? And I was devastated. And so I don't want to, I don't, what I wanted, uh, trying to relate to what he's saying. So I think that for him, going to TJ Maxx was as tragic as, as me that, going to a food right, bank. Yeah, and you're probably right. Because, I mean, you think he probably had all his clothes were probably handmade or they come from the finest. Like, yeah, right. They're not wearing, you know, off he's the like, rack He's like, I anything. only got um, allowances from the palace for my suits. And he didn't get, I guess, allowance for clothes. Cut him off like... into shorts, man. <laughs> and and I kind of get it because, like, he has to dress a certain way. He can't mm-hmm. be looking like we do. You know what I mean? Right, right. So I don't know. I On the one hand, I get it and I feel bad for him. But on the other hand, I'm like, okay, Crimea you should have left that out, you know? <laughs> and then yeah. the whole, oh, we didn't know how we were going to like, buy a house. And, like, it's so tragic. You know what I mean? And. I'm sure their house is worth millions and millions of dollars. Well, and the thing is, too, if they have that trust, they could have used that and then replenished right. and I'm it. Sure they you know. both have millions of dollars. Right. I mean, yeah. Yeah. I mean, buying a house. Uh, hello. I just need to be able to rent a house. Right. You know, yeah. and so it's. I don't and it's know. all, you know, relative. So. Yeah. But I don't know. Some of it, I did feel really bad about his mom. Like they didn't get him any therapy. It was pretty much like after the funeral, everybody went back to their lives and it was. They had to deal even, with that internally. And, she was so, such a huge presence. Right. So and, it's I very mean, sad. But he did, he said he did get therapy. I mean, he had good. to. Yeah. I can't even imagine. And then they, they did like really, they were like super mean to Megan and didn't want him to marry her. And they were feeding stories to the press, like his dad oh, and his brother. Yeah, I definitely or heard his that. Dad, I think, not his brother. But Yeah, I definitely so heard it's, that. It's fucked up, you know? And, but, they're like, oh, she's rude and she's this and that. And I'm like, you know, there's two sides to every story. Oh, to yeah. him, it's like she's like the best person on earth and she didn't do anything wrong. But at the same time, I'm like, well, I wonder. And some of it, I think, was that she was American and they were, you know, it's different culture. Well, she she might not have curtsied correctly. Right, do you know what I'm yeah. saying? And that's considered rude to them. But she's never had to curtsy to anybody. So right. give her a break. Yeah. So it's like, I'm not saying that's what it was, but I'm saying it could be something as simple yeah, as that. Yeah, just like reading. Yeah. And she like, like told Kate at one time, Kate forgot something and she was like, oh, you have baby brain or something. And Kate got mad at her and was like, "You, you, we don't know each other well enough for you to comment on my hormones. Because I think, like, for the Brits, that's very, like, private. Oh, they're very private, staunch You know private, what I mean? Yeah, and yeah. to an American, like, we wouldn't think twice about a comment like that. Yeah. So, I, I don't know. I think that was a lot of the... I don't know. I just... It was I, interesting. That was a little boring, but... That's a lot. I, I just don't... I can't even imagine. Yeah. I can't imagine. So. But I'm glad I listened to it, so. All right, you ready to eat some dinner? I am. All right. Be back. Be back. Bye. We're back. We're back, bitches. We're back, bitches. Boys and girl bitches. We had shitty food for dinner. Yeah, I just had (laughs) yogurt. Lynn had yogurt and blueberries, and I had a sandwich that I had left over from lunch that was a little stale and not very good. (laughs) (laughs) I know. We used to have these beautiful, extravagant 
I know. dinners. Pizza. And- I just didn't feel – I was like – I well, I told you I didn't feel like making chili. Yeah. I had chili. That's, that's what I was going to bring. But I ran out of time and I'm going to eat some lasagna soup with the kids. So I didn't want to have chili so and then lasagna else. soup. And I also smell – I just want to take a shower. I smell like the – sauteed onions and stuff and I can't I stand I hate that smell so bad I can't I, it drives me absolutely nuts so I'm gonna have to I worked at a um, taco at taco time in Seattle when I lived there and I would have to catch the bus and for some reason the cold makes that smell oh worse. yeah so I'd cigarette smell smoke like, too yeah like well, yeah totally I'd smell like fried food and I'd have to get on the bus and go home and my jacket my coat would be oh my god the smell is so awful I hated it yeah as soon as I got home I'd be like in the shower. I know. I, so it's disgusting. so gross. It's so gross. So, Rose, who, who are you going to tell us about today? I'm actually telling you about two people. Two people? Yeah. I always break the rules. I did this last time. <sighs> but this one's a little, little bit different. Okay. <coughs> Let me <coughs> oh, my God. <laughs> okay, okay. May. <coughs> <laughs> He just busted everyone's eardrum. <laughs> Millie and Christine McCoy were born, were born, De born. into slavery in 1851. Their parents, Mona Mia, who was Native American, and Jacob McCoy, who was African, were slave in the in Welch were slaves in Welch's Creek, North Carolina, and we're- they. Oh my god, I'm having trouble. <laughs> Are you okay? You need to over? No. Where's Welch's Creek? North Carolina. No, Jock Sherlock. I mean, where in <laughs> I North Carolina? I don't know. I didn't look. Oh my I god. Look at a map. I'll, I'll look it up. It's Just by curious. Because I lived in North Carolina for a little while. It's by a creek? Yeah. A, it's called a creek. <laughs> it's crack. It's by a crack. <laughs> it's about a crack for me. Welch's Creek. Okay, Rose, get it together. Okay. Are you going to tell us where it is? I am. I'll keep going. Okay. I'm going to look it up. And they were owned by a blacksmith named Jabez McKay. So their last name is McCoy, and his last name is McKay. And that confused the shit out of me. Oh, my gosh. That is <laughs> I a had lot. To like, I was like, that must be a like a typo, but it wasn't. And some, some places they spell their name M-C-K-O-Y, and some places they spell it M-C-C-O-Y, oh, which even grief. confused me further. So it looks like it is. Oh my gosh! Is it by a creek? I'm sure there's a creek there. I'm looking for. So it's north of Myrtle Beach. Uh, it's like due uh, due west of Wilmington. It's. Is it? It's almost. It's almost centered between Fayetteville and Isn't Myrtle Beach. Myrtle in Beach, South Carolina. <clears throat> north Myrtle Beach, but that's that might be South Carolina. So there's a North Myrtle Beach in North Carolina. I don't know if that's no. Yeah, that it's in South Carolina. So. Oh. Um, but it's right. It's like it looks like it's like halfway between North Myrtle Beach and Fayetteville, kind of. Oh. Okay. But it's like due east of Wilmington, North Carolina. Okay. Are you happy now? Yeah. All right. Yeah, I just wanted to know where it was. Okay. Uh, Millie and Christine had five brothers and two sisters, and they were conjoined twins. Oh. They were joined at the pelvis and the lower spine, but they each had two arms, two legs, and their own vital organs. So today they would have been easily separated. So they they were com- they were conjoined where at the uh, pelvis at the pelvis yeah. oh yeah that wouldn't be so and simple. the lower spine which would be also be hard to but they each had their own like they had two arms two legs 
and their own organs. Oh, wow. Their own, own vital, vital organs. Yeah, today they definitely would have been able to separate them. Mm-hmm. As soon as they were born, Monamia took them to Jabez, Jabez McKay, to show her owner, to show them that to show him that they were conjoined. And because he was such a nice guy, he was like, oh, like saw dollar signs, you know. So when the twins were just eight months old, he sold them <gasps> and their mother to a South Carolinian, Carolinian, Carolina, Carolinian. <laughs> Carolinian. Oh my God, I was like short circuiting there. <laughs> hearth, I hearth, stop hearth. It. <laughs> Showman named John oh, Purvis God. for what one thousand dollars? Wow, that was a lot of money back then. What do you think that's equivalent to? You're really good at this um, for some reason. Equal to now? Yeah. This was eighteen fifty seven hundred thousand. Now, jeez. Forty thousand. Oh, <laughs> I take back what I said. You're not very good. See, so you compliment me. I prove you wrong. <laughs> Purvis began putting Millie and Christine on display immediately and gave oh. McKay a percentage of the profits. He sold the twins within two years to a guy named Brower, um, who was a showman funded by. A merchant named Joseph Pearson Smith. Good grief. So at this point, Joseph Smith now owns them, which is always great when you can talk about humans owning humans. Yeah, that's fabulous. Like it makes me want to throw up when I say that, you know, like they owned him. Absolutely ridiculous. (laughs) So before they were 10 years old, Millie and Christine were sold numerous times. They were put on display at P.T. Barnum's American Museum in New York City, and then they were later kidnapped and sold to a showman named W.J.L. Miller, Millar, M-I-L-L-A-R, Millar. Millar. And he put the twins on display in Canada, Europe, and England. Oh, my God. And But this, like, whole time, Joseph Smith is trying to find them because they've been kidnapped. But and he is their mother them. still with them? No. When did she, they... she was with them up until they got they kidnapped. They got kidnapped, yeah. okay. So um, while they were kidnapped, they were constantly being exam- by, examined by doctors um, who were fascinated by their condition. Mm-hmm. And, like, every stop, they would have doctors come and, like, look at them. And um, no one at that point had seen African-American conjoined twins before. And they were, like, really interested in their um, genitalia. Genitalia? Genitalia? Oh my God. Rose, <laughs> Why are you okay? Are you okay? Are you okay? I'm like... <laughs> I'm going to bump the table. It's like when a record skips, you know, you bump it. <laughs> I swear, when I read words sometimes out loud, it's like I can... I know the word. I've said it a hundred times, but when I read it, you know, it's like... Wait, I suddenly can't say that word anymore. Well, that's how I was about that one word mine was... A, uh, I don't remember getting the C, but I was like... it's. I'm not saying that right, but I did say it right. I don't know. The other night, the other day, Chris was watching a soccer game. It was Arsenal in Munich, and I was like, I said, "Oh, something about Munich," and I was like, "Munich? Is it, is it Munich?" <laughs> I was like, "Am I saying it right?" And he looked at me, and he was like, "I was like, why are you looking at me like that?" He goes, "I thought you were joking." <laughs> I was like, "No, I'm pretty sure it's Munich, but am I like? I, I always second guess myself." Yeah, you, you start know? having doubts, yeah. right? It makes me feel stupid anyway, so thanks a lot. Love you, too. Yeah, that's fine. In 1871, Dr. William Pancoast, who was a doctor in Philadelphia, confirmed that 
Millie Christine shared one vulva and one anus, but had separate urethras and bladders. The labia majora, although connected to two clitorises, ran continuous across the vulva and protected but one vagina. Vagina. (laughs) And one uterus. Vagina. They had one vagina. Oh, my God. That's crazy. I know. So, yeah, they had How one. How do you have four legs and one vagina? I mean, oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> <I don't... laughs> four legs and one vagina. <laughs> totally didn't mean to say that. Your face is so serious. How do you have four legs and one vagina? <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I was like really thinking about it too. I'm like, four legs and one. And then it just came out. <laughs> oh my God. Okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> Whew, enough vagina talk. Enough vagina talk. <laughs> the examinations only stopped once Millie and Christine were old enough to protest them. Oh my God. I can't imagine as little kids how that stressful that had to be for them. I mean, God knows what they were doing. I know. I, I, I think that as well. Christine was physically much stronger than Millie. And she could, so Millie could hold her legs up and Christine could just carry her around. Oh, my God. <laughs> their posterior legs were also much stronger than their anterior legs. So they could lift up their anterior legs off the ground and walk only on the posterior set. Oh, that would make sense. That it's easier to walk because it's easier to walk on two legs than they four, were like, probably, because you're not having to time it as yeah, much. Yeah, right. Um, you can look up a picture of them if you want. Oh, I guess you closed your computer. So In this situation, four legs is not better than two. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> so Joseph Smith got word that they were over in England, and he takes their mother, Mona Mia, and gets on a boat and goes over there. At this point, slavery was illegal in London, in, in, London, in England, and so... Joseph Smith had to sue them for custody because he couldn't just say, I own them, give them back to me. Oh. And they were released back to Monomia. I'm sure I'm saying her name wrong. Monomia? Monomia? Um, so she got custody back of them. But she, when they got back to the U.S., she was forced to give them back to Joseph Smith. And they um, were immediately put back on the roadshow circuit. And everyone, like every article I read about this is like, oh, yeah, Joseph Smith and Mona Mia went over there to get the kids back. Like they were working as a team. And I'm like, she was his slave. Like the way they made it sound, it was really, it really didn't sit well well with me. Yeah. It, it, and he wasn't getting them back because he cared about them. Right. Yeah. Like, oh, they went he to was, rescue him like this nice slave Losing owner. out on money. Right. That's the only reason. Ugh. And he only took her because she, he knew that slavery was illegal in, London, in England. Mm. So when they're back on the roadshow circuit, he finds out that the girls aren't as popular as they once were. So he's not making as much money off their appearances. And so he had to kind of come up with new ways to, like, make them exciting, you know. Oh, Jesus. So um, his wife starts teaching the girls how to read, write, sing, play the piano, and speak a few different foreign languages. And they even learn to sing in soprano and alto voices as as well as harmonize. So he had them, like, you know. Soprano and alto. That's not so easy, but go on. That means nothing to me. Okay. <laughs> you were obviously never in chorus, Rose. <laughs> no. So, um, 
he has them like you know singing and reciting passages of French and German for audiences, and he toured them as the two-headed nightingale. Oh, I know. The twins had a motto, which was "As God decreed, we agreed." And they always accepted that they were born a certain way, and they would just work with what they had. They, and they really seemed like okay with it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like well, they, yeah, they, they kinda... didn't want to be separated. Yeah. Um, when they struggled to walk as children, they developed a sideways walk and even turned it into a dance that crowds enjoyed. During the Civil War, Pearson Smith uh, kept the girls hidden so they wouldn't be taken from him. And after he died in 1862, he willed the twins to his son, and they were emancipated in 1863. But they continued to live with the Smiths. Hmm. Like, they were free, but they they still live there, and they... Well, I'll get into the rest of it, but it's very strange to me. So, um, Joseph Smith Jr. referred to the girls as one person and made them refer to themselves the same way. He advertised the girls as Millie Christine, the two-headed girl with eight limbs. So he was a dick. Mm. This is the son. The son, okay. yeah. Um, Joseph Smith had died. So the twins later wrote an autobiography and they said, quote, Although we speak of ourselves in the plural, we feel as but one person. In fact, as such we have ever been regarded, although we bear the names Millie and Christina, one thing is certain, we would not be wished to be severed, even if science could affect a separation. We are contented with our lot and are happy as the day is long. But we have but one heart, one feeling in common, one desire, one purpose. In the early 1870s, Millie and Christine went on a world tour. They visited Queen Victoria in 1871 at Buckingham Palace. The royals are getting a lot of um, time on this podcast. Yeah, they are today. <laughs> the queen gave them diamond hair clips as a gift. Oh, that's They nice. later wrote, the pomp and circumstances of the surrounding of the surroundings dazzled our young eyes and we wondered what was to be done with us. But we can say that Victoria was a woman for she talked tenderly to us and to our mother and when we left we bore away abundant tokens of her good feeling and queenly liberality. A great many artists boast of having been before the queen. Perhaps they have and employed great diplomacy to get there. But with us the case was different. Poor little monstrosities and black babies at that. We were set we were sent for, and that without any influence at court to gain us a royal summons. So they were, like, amazed that they were black and they got to see the queen, you know. Oh, yeah, of course. What you... During the 1880s, Millie and Christine once again toured with P.T. Barnum and the Traveling Circus. And this is on their own now. They're yeah. doing this of their own free will um, since the 70s. Once their prop- popularity grew to a certain point, they had enough earnings to support themselves. Smith's widow, Mary, and their birth mother, Monimia. So they they were supporting the widow of their, like, the, of slaver. the son? Of, uh, no, of the original Joseph Smith. Oh. Wait. Oh. So he died in 1882, and, and they went on and kept supporting her. Oh, wow. Isn't that weird? Even though they were free. Like, they lived with her and everything. I thought they were with the son. They were. Well, they they lived, like, I think they all, like, lived on the same property. Oh, okay. Yeah. You know how it was back in the day. A wrecking girl. Over the course of their decades-long career, Millie and Christine were said to have made about 
$250,000. What do you think that's worth today? Oh, my God. <laughs> Let's see. 250000 in 1880 is $180,000. No, $250,000 today. Oh, $250,000 today? Yeah. Wait, no. $250,000 then. How much is it today? Yeah, right. Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> oh, my God. 180 oh, would be less. No. Than. <laughs> oh, my God. That's so stupid. I can't believe I said that. Um, mm, like 600,000? 7.5 million. Oh, my God. <laughs> I guess, yeah, yeah, I guess that's that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was thinking... Okay. You're not, good. You're not good at this tonight. I, no, I'm not. Last time you were really good. They used their popularity and increasing wealth to purchase property in North Carolina and build a 10-room house where they lived in between shows. The property was the original land where they had been born. Wow. That's cool. The women retired. In, in another story I read said that the, the father purchased that land where they were slaves mm-hmm. before he died and gave it to them, like willed it to them. Mm-hmm. But... I don't know. The story said two different things, so I didn't know what to believe. Yeah. The women retired in 1900 after a long, lifelong career. They enjoyed their days at their home in North Carolina until a massive fire broke out in 1909. The fire destroyed everything they owned, and the event seems to have, seemed to have impacted their health. In 1912, Millie got tuberculosis, and she died on October 8, 1912. Because there was no way to separate them, Christine was given a lethal dose of morphine, 12 hours later and died because otherwise, I mean, she just had like this dead body on her. You know what I mean? Oh, my God. That had to be. I know. That had to be really horrible. Oh, no. That's horrible. The sisters didn't want to be cremated or dissected after they died. So they were buried in a special casket made to hold two bodies with a marker that read a soul with two thoughts, two hearts that beat as one. In 1969, the Columbus County Historical Society in North Carolina moved their remains to Welsh's Creek Community Cemetery. At the age of 61, they were the oldest living conjoined twins on record at that time. Oh, my gosh. Isn't that crazy? That is nuts. So they went on and made a career, and they, they seemed to have the best attitude. They were like, we're going to take what we got and and make money yeah, off I of mean, it. Yeah, I mean, and they made great money. Yeah. Well, once they could keep it themselves. Right. But I can't, I can't just like, I can't even wrap my brain around like when the one died oh i know Ugh. and they were only 61 so the other one was probably healthy you know well 61 back then was probably pretty yeah it's kind of old but but still could you imagine your sister like and that's like a different level sister you know i yeah. wonder if she would have eventually died like if they hadn't because they her. had all separate organs though yeah like what would have happened well she just well because i mean she couldn't just carry around the right. their body. Yeah. I mean, there's no way to do that. I mean, the only thing they could do was try and separate them, but I don't think they would have had the yeah the ability, ability to, do, to that. do that. I don't think so either. Especially since they they shared some parts of their body, their spine and stuff like that. That stuff was not receiving. Was it still receive like the right. the base of their spine and stuff? Was that receiving blood flow since they yeah, shared that? Right. Like, That's and what so, I mean. Like, would she have lived? Probably not very long. Because she has this big dead person on Yeah, probably not very long. And then what about like going to the bathroom? Would she still be able to go to the bathroom? Who controlled that? Because they had two different stomachs. 
they had all separate organs. So that means they had two different yeah, bladders. Yeah, one. Isn't that crazy to think about? Yeah, I, it is. It's very, um, like, if they had two, all separate organs, that means they had two bladders. Right. They had one and vagina. They had two colons. But one urethra, ureth- one urethra. One urethra and one anus and one. How would that work? Maybe they, I don't know. You can't have two bladders go to one vagina. I mean, one. Right. Well, I don't know. But they had to because they were, like, they could each eat and drink. But then imagine, like, would you be in the bathroom all the time? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. That's weird. I wonder if they shared. And then that's why I think the doctors were so, like, Yeah, I mean, I, yeah. I mean, it's so confusing. Yeah, I don't know. So, and they were the first black conjoined twins, African-American conjoined twins. That's a really cool story. Yeah, so originally I um, was going to write the story on their mother mm-hmm. because she was like like a notable black woman. Mm-hmm. And there's like no information on her. Oh, except that one article I read where I was like, oh, my God, she's a badass because she like – like fought to them like for them mm-hmm. um like she fought to like make sure she was sold with them and yeah i mean that's pretty amazing she kept them in her life she, was she able- stayed in their life yeah until they died you know, or until she died it is pretty amazing because because people didn't give a shit what black people wanted or thought back right then. yeah so so um, she was pretty amazing but then i was gonna and i was gonna add more about her but there's literally like no information other than that so I'm sure she was a badass, but for sure, sounds like it. Yeah, it's pretty nifty, Rose. Nifty, nifty, you nifty. say. And if you like that, there's always there's always other episodes. <laughs> just in case you haven't listened to them, and you can find those on our webpage at noordinarywomen.com, or you can go and listen to us on your favorite podcasting platform. At No Ordinary Women Pod and Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok, No Ordinary Women Pod, and Twitter, No Ord Women. Give us a shout out. Make sure you follow us. Make sure you share us. Like and subscribe. Like and subscribe. And let us know what you think. Yeah, we'll give you a shout out on the podcast. Yeah. And you'll be famous, just like us. Yes, very famous. <laughs> so famous. Like 12 more people will know you than they do now. Yeah, 12, 12 15 maybe. <laughs> <laughs> on a good day. <laughs> no. All right. All right. Until next week, toodaloo. Toodaloo. Bye. Bye.